And I think there's so many of us that are really deeply lonely, even if we have a lot of friends, even if we have a great family or a fun career, or we live in a nice community, but we still feel like alone. I think a lot of times I think it's because we are, you know, we are, we aren't sharing ourselves. We are holding ourselves in. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I want to talk about a topic that couldn't possibly be more important or timely. If you found yourself in the last 12 to 18 months feeling lonely or isolated or disconnected from the people around you, you are not alone, pun intended. And today I want to do a deep dive into this topic of loneliness. I think it's so important. It's obviously very connected to writing. Writing is one of the great ways that we can find ourselves feeling connected to other people. But today's guest is Laura Tremaine. She's the host of 10 Things to Tell You podcast, and she's also the author of this new book called Share Your Stuff I'll go first. And I want to talk to Laura today about this idea of loneliness, what it is that keeps us from reaching out to connection with people, and then have her tell you some practical tips that we can actually use. We can put these things into action right away to start connecting with people so that we can feel more connected. This episode is going to make you a better friend. It's going to make you a better communicator. And I think the thing that you'll be most surprised by is that these tricks and tips that she's giving you are quite easy. They don't take a lot of emotional effort. In fact, they give to us far more than they take from us. They can be quite fun. And speaking of fun, Laura is such a fun follow on Instagram. So you should go follow her on Instagram at Laura Tremaine. I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with her. Do you have a sense that you have a story you want to write, but you aren't sure you want to publish it? Or maybe you're definitely sure you don't want to publish, but the idea of writing your personal story sounds like something you might like to try. Finally, finally, I have a resource for you. For over a decade, myself and my team at Find Your Voice have been supporting authors who have powerful stories that they want to publish in the format of a book. And over all those years, I've watched as the power of writing down a personal story brought clarity to these authors, brought healing to their lives, and ultimately helped them take back their lives from critics, from past mistakes, from a culture that wanted to define them or put them in a box. But until now, I didn't have a great resource for someone who wanted to write their story, not for publishing, but for taking back their power. So if that's you, this is exciting news. Right now, you can go to writeyourstory.com and for free, you can download a simple worksheet that's going to walk you through the beginning steps of outlining your personal story. All you have to do is complete the questions on the worksheet, watch the videos, and I'll teach you not only how to tell your story, but how to take back your life by telling your story. I'm going to teach you how to know what's really interesting about your personal story, how to know where the story starts and where it stops, and I'll even teach you a trick that the pros use to take their writing from good to great. Don't wait another day to write your story and take back your life. Head to writeyourstory.com right now and download your free worksheet. 
Hi, welcome to the podcast, Laura Tremaine. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's so good. We were just talking about before I hit record. It's so good to see you again. We both realized as we started talking about having you on the show that we know each other. <laughs> We've met before. We've actually been on an overseas trip together, which I feel like is you know one of those things in life that uh, you really get to know someone when you travel overseas together, but we both completely forgot about it. It feels like a billion years ago It does now. feel like a billion years ago. Anyway, it's great to be connected with you again. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your new book. You've got a brand new book out called Share Your Stuff. I'll go first. Before we get into all of that, I'm going to start with the question that we always ask on this show, which is what does it mean to you to find your voice? I love this question so much because I feel like I have really earned the answer to this over the last (laughs) few years. And for me, finding my voice came mostly through podcasting after years of wanting to be considered a writer and an author. It was podcasting. It was using my like literal speaking voice to learn how to express myself without apology, without qualification, and without formality. So I think I would have thought before I've gone through this own, my own process of this, that finding your voice means that you come out being like really articulate or really certain or something. And for me, what it has been, it has just been to be able to express without giving all these caveats. Like just being able to just like say the thing has been like transformative for me. I love that. So how do you feel, what impact did podcasting have on that? Was it just the repetition of over and over again, trying to explain what you thought or felt about a thing or what what's the connection there? I think that it was learning how to make a point more quickly. Like in audio, when I would listen back to myself, if you really ramble on, to me, it was easier to recognize rambling in audio form than recognize rambling on the page. Okay. So for me, it was like learning to be more concise or just a little bit more definitive, not like definitive in um, your opinion or whatever, but just like just to say it. So it's almost like an editing thing in a way that I could hear the ramble. But then it was also the first show that I was on, I was a co-host on the podcast Sorta Awesome, which is a girlfriend chat show. So there's no scripting. There's a very loose outline. And so it was like actually a lot of girlfriend chat with friends. And when I would listen back to it, the strongest pieces of that show were just so casual. And Mm. I had put you know, people with a strong voice as like really eloquent speakers, like speakers from a podium or really, you know, beautiful writers or or something like that. Like there was a formality to it in my mind. And I had not really made the connection because this was years ago of how much of an impact you can have in a more casual setting like this one, like just chatting. And so for me, this really changed the way I wrote a lot because I had really, my writing was a little bit stiff and stilted, I feel like, because I was trying so hard to sound smart or, you know, not repeat words or, you know, all the things that you do when you're looking at a page and you're trying to make it look a certain way. Well, that's not happening when you're chatting with girlfriends. But those episodes and those shows that I was doing back on Sort of Awesome in the beginning even as an amateur podcaster, you know, even when I was new to that medium, I was like, oh, okay, okay. This is what I need to hone. 
not the, you know, I don't need to write like Shakespeare. That's just not who I am or like what my skill set even is. But I had to hear it. I had to hear it. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And it's so perfect for the people I know we have listening to this show. Cause I talk about all the time how our tendency, especially with writing because of all the misconceptions we have about what it means to be a writer is to come to the page really buttoned and laced and be really focused on grammar and spelling and want to get the sentence structure all perfect. And that's usually not where the really beautiful writing comes from. In fact, I would say it's never where the beautiful writing comes from that what you're saying is using your voice usually comes in a more casual setting when your guard is down, when you're not trying to be polished and perfect, and when you're just trying to speak up and say something that's true for you. And I will also say, you don't have to be a podcaster to find this out about yourself. I think before I even started podcasting, like the baby step before that was I used the Voxer app daily. Do you know this app? Yes, yes. We use this with our so authors too. I use this with my long distance friends. Most of my dearest long time friends live somewhere else. And so we can't really do phone calls. Texting doesn't cut it. So we use this Voxer app, which is like a voice messaging app. You could also use Marco Polo or even sure. just voice messaging in your text on your phone, whatever you're using. But I started using this a lot again years ago. I mean, I'm talking seven years ago, maybe. And I would often listen to myself back, or even if I was listening to a friend's message, I would like almost edit it in my head of like, well, she took a really long time to say that. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you don't necessarily do that in conversation, like in person in real life, because, you know, the rhythm of that conversation is different. But when I'm trying to listen to someone make a point on this messaging app, or I'm trying to make my own point on this messaging app and would listen back, I would figure out how to do this better. And so that I was doing that with voice messaging before... I started podcasting, but I really think that I was meant to learn these lessons about using my like literal voice for expression and mostly to just cut down. I think I used to use more flowery language or I used to feel like more words was better words or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's so not true. Okay. I realize it could be helpful for people listening to hear a little bit more context around like what even got you into this work in the first place. Like when did you start writing? What role has that played in your career? When did you start podcasting? Like what, what did, how did that start and what, how has it evolved over time? Well, I moved to Los Angeles right after I graduated college and worked in television production, mostly reality television production for years, seven or eight years. And then when I quit production because it was long hours and I was losing interest in that type of work and started a family with my husband, Jeff, I still really wanted to express myself. And I had originally moved to LA to become a writer, which like, P.S., just vaguely, like become a writer. I didn't write anything. (laughs) Like, you know, I didn't, I hadn't studied it in college. Like I just, it was just like this dream, like this theoretical dream. So I had spent almost a decade not writing. And when I was in TV production, where there are writers, I was not writing there either. So I finally started a family and wanted to pursue this longtime dream. And so I did what was popular at the time, which was I started a mommy blog. Yes. And I had a mommy blog for years and it, you know, gained a readership. I tried all kinds of different writing on that blog. Blogging is the most amazing way to try out all kinds of things. Totally. And like to figure out what resonates with an audience, to figure out what you like writing, to figure out some of the things about writing on the internet, like, you know, just 
SEO and marketing and some of those other pieces that sometimes go hand in hand with writing professionally. Blogging will like teach you all of those things. So I blogged for years and loved it. And then eventually was a co-host on Sorta Awesome and then started my own podcast. And, and podcast became my life for a while. I shut down that original mommy blog. I was still doing some online writing. And between those two things, between the blogging and the podcasting, I, I share a lot of different things. I share about mental health. I share about motherhood. I share about marriage. I share about moving from Oklahoma to California. Like I had a lot of themes that I would often hit in the things that I would share online. And I just realized over and over again for years that in my times of loneliness in Los Angeles or when I would share something sort of vulnerable on the internet, like I just started to realize that what the real magic of all of this was, was the the actual sharing piece. It was the mm. actual sharing. It wasn't the quality of my writing. It wasn't even necessarily the vulnerability of what I was saying or not, because those are all, you know, we all have different levels of vulnerability or what we consider to be brave or not, or any of that kind of thing. Sure. Those are all, there's so many variables to that. But the key of what I kept making a difference in my life and what I felt like I kept hearing from uh, readers and then listeners was the sharing piece. Like the sharing of myself made me feel less lonely. Yeah. The sharing of myself made me know myself better. Like I just was learning all of these things about the literal sharing part of it. I super love social media and sort of understanding how people share effectively on social media. And I just, all of these things came together. And so I finally, after all this time, I wrote my first book and it is called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. It came out in February. It was a long time coming, I'm telling you. So when you say share your stuff, do you mean share with one person, share with a small group of people, share with your Instagram followers? Tell us more about what you mean. I think that this is going to be different for everyone depending on their circumstances. I am absolutely not forcing people to share online if that's not their jam or if they have mm. a family situation or a work situation or something that just takes that off the table. I do not think you sure. have to share yourself online in any way. You can sh- start with, if the sharing thing is scary for you, I I encourage people to start with their journal. Share yourself with yourself. Yeah. Like, yes. Start to get Amen. to know yourself and then share yourself with friends, partners, neighbors. Obviously, you need to like gauge the appropriateness of each of those relationships. But if you just start to share yourself in baby step ways online, if you're comfortable with that, these little baby steps of sharing it, it really can change your life. And I think there's so many of us that are really deeply lonely, even if we have a lot of friends, even if we have a great family or a fun mm-hmm. career, or we live in a nice community, but we still feel like alone. I think a lot of times, I think it's because we are holding ourselves back. You know, we, are, we aren't sharing ourselves. We are holding ourselves in. And maybe that's very well-intentioned. Maybe we are protecting ourselves for all kinds of really good reasons. But what happens is when you do that for a decade of not sharing yourself because you're protecting your child or your spouse or your faith or whatever you're protecting after you, you go a long time doing that and then you're going to wake up and you don't know who you are anymore and you're lonely. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have an epidemic of loneliness. That's for sure. And I think, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about 
sharing with one person versus sharing with a group of people. I think one thing that's interesting about me, and maybe some people resonate with this, is I sometimes find it less vulnerable to share with a large group of people than I do to share with one person. And I talk about with the writing process, just exactly what you say, how sharing in your own journal is a process of sharing yourself with yourself. Over time, you build the confidence and courage to share that vulnerability in relationship with another person. And sometimes that leads you to share with a broader audience. But I also think sometimes for those of us who think I have a message or a story that I want to share with the world, whatever that means, sometimes I think we can get this idea in our mind that that's going to do something for us that maybe it's not going to do. And I guess what I'm getting at is that sometimes it can be easier to say, I'm going to get on Instagram and share this thing about my life versus finding a person that we love and saying, I'm going to share myself really vulnerably with you. I don't know if you would agree with that or resonate with that at all, but. Oh, I totally agree with that. And I've talked about this in my podcast group. We've talked about this a little bit. We have a Facebook group tied to the show. And we have also talked about how it is easier to share sometimes online or to strangers even than it is to the people that we have to be in relationship with every single day. But I don't necessarily think that sometimes when I hear people talk about this idea, I think where they're going with it is you should really focus on sharing with the loved one. And I want (laughs) to be like, well, that's not really the conclusion I come to. Like we can talk to that. We can talk about the fact that it's easier to share on strength with strangers or share on Instagram than it is to share with our loved ones. But like, I just, that's not good or bad to me. Like if you are sharing yourself, it is, you are still learning. You are still expressing, you are still letting yourself be seen. Sure. The fact that it's like too much emotion to do it in a room with one other person that's okay. Like that's not a requirement. I don't think, I mean, obviously you need to take care of your own relationships, but in general, in the sharing conversation, that's, that's not a requirement. You sharing yourself, you showing up in the world, however, it is more comfortable for you. Even if that's with strangers, I still cheer that on. Yeah. That's such a great paradigm shift. I love that. It makes me think of like, you know, the meaningful conversation that you can have in a pre-COVID world with someone on an airplane, <laughs> but like that interaction that you would have where you, you sit next to a total stranger, you strike up a conversation with them, you share something about your life, and then you get off the plane and you feel like you've known this person for 10 years or, or those sorts of interactions that we have there with the barista at the coffee shop or the, mm-hmm. the checker at the grocery store that are really meaningful, deep, loving, thoughtful interactions, even with someone who you may never see or speak to ever again. Feels like it, it gives permission for that relationship to exist and have weight and hold value for us. I love that. Absolutely. What advice would you give to someone who's listening who thinks like, I, yeah, I do think I, I, I feel lonely. I have more of myself that I'd like to share with someone, with a group of people, with the world. I'd like to feel more connected than I feel. What's a first step that they could take? I think that people should start with questions. Like you answer your own question you know, take a journal prompt from somewhere, take a prompt from my podcast, Google journal prompts. I don't care, whatever. Take any kind of a question and then answer it. One thing that I found, because I do work, do this work online, even though I don't think this has to be done online, but it's easier to participate in some online challenge or to like, you know, blame it on something else. Like I saw this question or I'm participating in this 
week of answering questions or like how we do on Facebook all the time, like 25 things about me. That's just an excuse to share about yourself. So blame it on some internet meme or some journal prompt book you're reading. I mean, who cares? Blame it on something else. I understand that you might not want to just raise your hand at a dinner party or online and be like, everyone... I really want to tell you about my first love. I mean, that might just be like really awkward. But if you say, (laughs) I saw this amazing question, let's all answer it. And then maybe you answer it in your post and then you encourage your friends to answer it in the comments or to share their own posts and tag you, you know, make it a meme, make it fun, Hmm. blame it on someone else. You don't just have to do... Sometimes the scariest part is not the answer, but is like the just stepping up and saying, I have something to say. Yeah. So if you take the pressure off the I have something to say part and blame it on this funny game you're doing... then you get a chance to share. And then eventually you won't need that crutch. Eventually you'll be able to just share yourself. But there's nothing wrong with using a crutch in the beginning and taking baby steps and using memes or internet language or whatever to make this more palatable for yourself and for the people who will read it. There's nothing wrong with that. I love it. I'm assuming there's a predictable set of things that keep people from sharing themselves with others. Can you speak to that a little bit? What are the fears that we have or the insecurities or the resistances that we have around sharing ourselves? God, there's so many. But for women in particular from ages, let's say 30 to 50, and I'm just ballparking it here, but I think that women culturally, and I just say that because that's my demographic and I am a woman who's 41, but culturally we're taught, you know, never to say anything bad about our spouses, that that's disrespectful. We're taught never to share or post anything about our children that's not glowing and amazing because we're affecting their internet footprint forever or something like that. We carry these burdens of protecting everyone else's integrity and their reputation at the expense of our own expression. And so we want to, you know, present a wonderful family and a beautiful home. And I understand this. I mean, we all feel this from like decades on. Like we, I understand this, but I can just see that it is killing women. And then they get to, you know, empty nest phase or their marriages fall apart and they, they don't even know where to begin because they've just been protecting everyone else all this time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll share another angle to that too, like a more like immediate kind of problem. I was, I was married before I'm married now, but I was married before and have been through a divorce. And my husband at the time, my now ex-husband was a pastor in the church. So I was a pastor's wife for almost the whole time that we were married. And I really held the the value of not speaking disparagingly about my husband. That was something that I was taught from a really young age, especially as part of an evangelical community. And I held that standard really high for myself. I held myself to that very high standard and I wasn't going to say a bad or a quote unquote mean word about him. And I'll never forget having a conversation with a friend of mine where I said, do you and your husband fight? And she was like, of course we fight. And, you know, told me a couple of different examples of how, how they had fought. And, um, 
I moved on from, from that conversation. I think I probably had a few other conversations like that too, but this is one that really sticks out to me. And what she didn't know and what I couldn't tell her because I was too worried to speak disparagingly about my husband is that our fights were very physical and violent and inappropriate and scary and dangerous. And I didn't feel that I could say that because I was worried that it would make him look bad. I was worried he'd lose his job. I was worried people would change the way that they thought about him. And I mean, it's insane for me to say that now because I definitely look back and think, I would hope that any woman who's in a position like that can can speak up and tell the truth about what's happening to her. But I also understand why women can't because I did not feel that I could. So I think what you're saying has, you know, definitely like there's a long-term kind of slow death that can be problematic for women. And there's also like a very immediate pressing dangerous problem that you can be trapped in a situation that's toxic or mm. dangerous or unhelpful and be afraid to tell someone, you know, I got in a fight with my husband last night and he threw a hairdryer at me or whatever it is. So I was afraid to say those things to a friend. And because I was so afraid to say to them, I did that to them. I didn't have any meaningful feedback for years and years and years. And it wasn't until I started getting meaningful feedback that I started gaining the confidence I needed to leave. I'm so sorry you went through that. Did you know that it was wrong he was throwing the hairdryer? And I'm asking this for a reason in, in the context of sharing. Did you know that mm. that was wrong or and, and you were just protecting him and the re- reputation and the church and everything? Or were you like, maybe everybody does this? That was more, it was the second one. I really thought like, if you'd held my feet to the fire, I probably would have known that not everybody was living like this. But because of all of the rhetoric about how hard it is to be married, I just was like, this must be what people were talking about, that it's really hard. Like, I felt like everything I said upset him. I was always setting him off. I was always like stepping on his toes. It was always like, and so I just felt like I'm, I'm doing this to him and I need to figure out a way to stop setting him off so that he won't be reacting like this. And maybe everyone who's married feels like that. And they, they must just be better at not making their husbands react. Like, I don't know that it's, it's obviously absurd Mm. logic, but that, that was the logic that I had at the time. I'm so glad you said this because I do think that when women are sharing themselves, that they should be sharing specifics like that. Like he threw a hairdryer versus we had a fight because Mm. our dear friends or our loved ones should be a mirror in some ways. Like they should be able to say that doesn't fall under what normal spouse fighting looks like. And, and, you know, and they would say it in a loving way and maybe you wouldn't spill every detail of everything every time. But when we are able to share specifics, whether it's about toxic, abusive relationships or work situations, you know, Me Too movement type of things or Mm -hmm. anything where we can share specifics instead of just vaguely being like, oh yeah, my boss is kind of a jerk too, to be like, no, actually my boss sends me emails that say this. Yes. Then we can reflect to one another sort of what falls in the range of normalcy or solidarity or, you know what I mean? We can offer different things. It doesn't always have to be necessarily abusive, but when women just keep these vague things like, yeah, marriage is hard or you know, I'm not feeling well, or, you know, any of these things that are super vague, it just does us all a disservice because we aren't sure what is normal. And you know what I mean by that word normal, but like what is, 
something a lot of us are going through and what is outside of those ranges. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think if I had shared more specifics sooner, I probably never would have gotten married to this person in the first place, or at least it would have ended really quickly because for exactly the reason that you're talking about, because as soon as people started to know the, the specifics, it was really quickly mirrored back to me that this was not something other people were dealing with. So I think it's, to me, the reason I even share any of that, and I've not shared that specific detail or any details that specific here on the podcast. But the reason I share that is just to say the power of what you're talking about is not just my life can be like moderately better. The power of what you're talking about is we can be freed from situations that we never should have had to deal with in the first place. Yes. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. On that note, I want to talk about one of the things I always teach to writers when they're working on books is to build their book around the transformation of a reader. So think about who's the person that I'm writing this book to, the one person, how do I want their life to transform? And then writing the book, following that arc. So following where they are now to where you would like for them to be. Do you, did you think about that with this book? And like, what do you hope a person who picks up this book, how do you hope it transforms their life? Well, so the book is 10 chapters and each chapter asks one big question to the reader is asking the reader the question. And so, yes, I definitely thought about, you know, what the reader was going to take from a nonfiction book like this, because I love memoir and I love essay, you know, books and those kind of things. But I really wanted Share Your Stuff to be like interactive with the reader, sort of like we've become very accustomed online to being interactive with one another, that I wanted to try and see if I could do that in book form. And so each chapter asks one big life question. The first question is, who are you? The second, the last question, the 10th question Uh is, what do you believe? And so you are going through these 10 questions. I ask the question, I explain why I think the question is important or what I mean by the question or how you may think about this question because we all, you know, take some of these big moments really differently. And then I answer the question in essay form with my own answer for each of the 10 questions. I wanted the reader to really reflect back on their life. So my personality, I've been a journaler since I was like eight years old or something. (laughs) You know, I obviously love to share myself online and I love social media and like all of these things. So I am a natural introspective person. Like I'm always tying like my present relationships to my past relationships and all of that goofy self-help stuff. But most people are not. I mean, a lot of people are not that way. They, they can't really so easily identify the big milestones in their life or the people in their life that really mattered. I mean, they can if they sit down and and are pressed to do it, but it's not the way their brain works. And so I wanted people to sit down and do it and make themselves think about these things because that's the type of stuff I want people to be sharing. I don't mind sharing light, fluffy stuff. In the book, even I have lists of notable fashion choices, and I talk about like silly stuff also. Those are all fun things to share. But- when we're talking about changing our life or when we're talking about making deeper connections, you have to be able to share, you know, some of this harder, some of these harder things. And in order to do that, you have to be kind of self-reflective on your life. You have to look back and be able to say, this is 
at the point when I was broken, or Mm -hmm. this is what happened right before I broke, or these are the people who were in my life at the most important time. And maybe they're not in my life anymore, but I have gratitude that they were there then. Or these are the people who have been in my life, you know, throughout. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. Or, and this is a big question that people are really resonating with, which is funny because this wasn't necessarily a standout chapter to me, but one that people really love is naming when we belonged in our past. Like what moments, what groups, what communities, whatever we felt, I really belong here. Because since I'm talking to people who are lonely or have experienced loneliness off and on, if we can identify when we belonged, we can look around in our current life and see where we can replicate it or where we no longer fit. Because if we say, I really belonged in this space when I was 16 and I loved it and it was me and it was amazing. And now I'm 40 and I'm in this group of people and I don't have that same feeling. And I'm just in this same group because it's the path of least resistance or because I never paid attention to the fact that maybe I've outgrown this group that I'm in, that I no longer belong here. So all those questions, I talk about all that stuff in the book, and I give you really concrete questions to ask yourself about your past and about your present. You can do it in a journal. You can do it in conversation like this. But you have to be able to identify those things in in a concrete way, not just vague, like, I felt like I belonged when I was a young child. Okay, well, no, (laughs) that doesn't mean anything. Like, tell me, you know, what group you were in, you were standing in when you felt like you belonged there. You have to be able to look back. In, in order to sort of figure out what is working and what is not working in your current life. It's so beautiful. And I think your book pairs so nicely with what I'm teaching on this show and with my book, The Power of Writing It Down. So if you don't already have a copy of Laura's book called Share Your Stuff, I'll go first. And I just was looking up the subtitle, 10 Questions to Take your friendships to the next level. Make sure you go buy a copy of that book. I talk about in The Power of Writing It Down how if we're not getting the results that we want in our lives, a good place to start is to go back to the questions. That good stories start with good questions. So if you're not liking the story that you're getting, ask better questions. And that's what I'm that's what I keep thinking about as you're talking about these questions is I'm like these are such good questions. So they're amazing questions to use as journal prompts. And amazing questions to get you started in conversation with your friend groups. So again, if you don't already have a copy of this book, make sure you go purchase your copy now. Can we talk a little bit about your writing process? Because I love for our listeners to get to hear from different types of writer. Writing is such an individual process and everybody approaches it a little bit differently. And so I love for our listeners to get to hear from all kinds of writers about what writing looks like for them. Can you Give us a peek into your writing life and tell us like what is your what what time of day do you write? What's your setup? What yeah, what does your writing life look like? Well, it was hard for me to go to book form, longer form words after eleven years of writing first pretty short blog posts and then now like Instagram captions. <laughs> like it was yeah. really hard to like make that leap to longer form writing. And so I actually, in my book contract, specifically asked for an outside editor because in my mind, I was going to write like chapter by chapter and turn it into an editor and we would work together. I'd never done this before. And I wanted her to hold my hand and I just 
cared a lot about my first book, and so I I wanted the writing process to look a certain way. I got the outside editor, and she was amazing, but she did not hold my hand. She wanted the whole book at one time, so I was still left on my own to just (laughs) write a book for the first time, and I was like, wait a second. This isn't (laughs) what I thought was going to happen. And it was hard, honestly. I mean, I think it ended up affecting the structure of my book, which I loved by the end, but it is a little different than most books. There is the the big question, like I described. And then I answer the question three different ways in most of the chapters. And so these are like little vignettes. And I ended up doing that because I felt like, look, I cannot reinvent the wheel right now. I have to work with what my skill set is. And this skill set that I have honed over the last decade is short form. And so I am going to write short form and we're going to piece it together because not that I can't learn the right of long, of writing long form. And I hope I get better at that, but like I need to play to my strengths and what is working for me right now. And so I'm going to write the way I write, which is like 500 words at a time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the takeaway from that for me is just the reminder that books can look so many different ways and writing can look so many different ways. And in our heads, sometimes we get this idea that if I'm going to write a book or if I'm going to be a writer, it has to be X, Y, and Z. I have to have a cabin in the woods. I've got to write on a vintage typewriter. I've got, I don't know, you know, like we have like these weird ideas in our head about what it means to be a writer or what it looks like. And it's just a reminder that it can look so many different ways. And your book is structured beautifully and it can be structured that way, or it can be more long form, or it can be more content driven or more story driven, or, you know, more like poetic or more practical. Like there's so many different ways to approach a book. There's no one right way. I also did think that I needed to write in a cabin in the woods. I really felt like I needed to be alone. And so it reminded me of that when you said that. I went out to the desert in Palm Springs because I live in Los Angeles. I wrote most of this book on the back end of 2019. I turned it in right before the pandemic. And so I did go you know, out to an Airbnb in Palm Springs and I did go to a lake house and wrote it. And I felt very, I don't want to say high and mighty about that, but I felt very like I'm y'all. I'm I'm like really being a writer now. Okay, like I'm doing it. And then I turned the book in. The pandemic hit, and so I got all my edits back and had to do you know three four months worth of editing, which is very grueling, especially for a first time author who didn't know what she was doing. Me, not the editor. And so <laughs> I had to do all of that in my home where my children were remote learning and where my husband was home all day and where the the circumstances were so far from ideal. They were like the terrible creative circumstances that I had to do this editing process. And by the end of it, even though I cried most of that time, I'll be honest, I cried a lot. But by the (laughs) end of it, I was like, okay, I don't need a cabin in the woods. Like I was able to do this. It sucked. I don't necessarily want to repeat it this way, but I don't need to spend the money to go away every time. Sometimes it's maybe nice to do that like as a kickstart or, you know, as a reward or something. But I definitely learned by sort of doing both ways, I definitely learned, oh, I don't need complete silence in a beautiful hotel. I mean, that's, that's silly. And so I had to learn really quickly to shed that idea. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a luxury if you have access to it. It's great. Like no, everybody wants to, by the way, there's a place in Palm Springs called Two Bunch Palms that I would love to go away to write a book to. So if you ever want to go write a book together at Two Bunch Palms in Palm <laughs> Springs, I'll come with you. Um, no. So, but all that to say, it's a luxury if you have access to it. But I think the problem with saying that in order to write a book, I need this cabin in the woods is that it excludes an entire group of people who never would be able to have access to those things. And Virginia Woolf talks about, you know, needing a room of one's own in order to access our creative energy and share our voice with the world. But I always make the joke, like the room of your own can be your closet. If it needs to be, it can be your bedroom. It can be the bathroom, like wherever you can go that you can shut the door (laughs) and lock it and find like a moment of headspace to yourself. If that's what you have access to, plenty of people have written books on the scrap piece of paper that's on their kitchen counter or on the back of a cocktail napkin or on their iPhone locked in their closet while their kids are screaming in the other room. You know, like a lot of the clients that I've worked with have written books that way. So it's just better for us not to make it need to be so precious and to remind ourselves that we can actually write a book under whatever circumstances we have available to us. Mm-hmm. What is it that keeps you coming back to the writing process? Because obviously, I mean, it's it can be a really rewarding activity, writing, blogging, getting feedback, writing Instagram posts, getting feedback, writing a book, sharing it with, you know, your your readers and hearing from them how it's impacted their lives, but it's also grueling, you know? I mean, it's just like you've talked about like you've been in the middle of a pandemic and editing editing this book with your kids at home. What is it that makes you want to keep on doing that? I think it's just who I am. I feel the most myself when I am writing and Mm -hmm. I believe it's a calling. I don't think it has to be. I think this is like anything where somebody can be very good at something and not feel that it's spiritual or not feel that it's a calling at all. And then you can also feel a calling and then never act on it. You know, but (laughs) for me, I feel that it is a calling that took me a really long time to actually have tangible evidence of. This book was decades in the making for me, like on a personal level. And I never expected that and would have been really discouraged by that had I known that when I was 22 years old. But for me, it is absolutely a calling. I don't know. I know that that's almost a cheesy word. I'm not afraid of cheesy words by any means. But when you feel your most your best self, your most core self when you're doing something or when you have done it. Because sometimes it's even like after I have written something and I read it back, I'm like, oh yeah, there I am. And I maybe didn't feel that exactly when I was typing necessarily. Like I was annoyed when I was having to do the work. But then when I read it back, I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. that's that's who I am right there. Yeah. So sometimes it's in the work afterwards, but the whole process of it the whole, the whole package of it is just my the most Lara that there is. Yeah. It's, it is a really deeply satisfying feeling. I agree with you there. That's one of the things that keeps me coming back as well. Well, we're so grateful for you sharing your wisdom, your, your insight, and your words with the world. Again, if you haven't already purchased Laura's book, share your stuff. I'll go first. Go right now to wherever you buy books. It's available everywhere. Should be, right? It's available. (laughs) Fingers crossed. So just to give you a sense of how great this book is, it has sold out three times. Is that right? 
I can't. It's really like it's a, a whole thing. I'm so sorry that the book keeps selling out. I mean, I'm it's amazing and also I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's I said before we started recording it's an author's like worst nightmare and best dream come true at the same time. So anyway, go to wherever you buy books, purchase a copy of Laura's book. Laura, we're so thankful. Thank you for spending this time with us and sharing your wisdom. I love this chat. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.